Good morning and welcome to Christ the King Church. It's so good to see you here again. It's certainly a pleasure to be asked to fill in for your Pastor Chuck while he's recuperating. And it's, it really is nice to be asked to fill in, but it's really nicer or better to see people come back a second time or a third time after they've heard you preach. So it's very, very good to see you here. Let us look at the word of the Lord together. I'd like to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 through verse 29. It says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. There's several topics in here in this particular passage, but I have decided to deal with just one uh, of the themes. I'm part of a group that operates a reform seminary in Ukraine, and I've been teaching there since 1999. Recently, when I got over there on a Monday morning, two of our students met me, and they wanted me to settle a debate that they were having. And the debate was on whether uh, you could be trained to be a Christian or if you had to be born again to be a Christian. Igor uh, said you must be born again, and Nikolai said you could be trained to be a, uh, a Christian. And so I could immediately see the spiritual implications of the debate that they were having. So we agreed that that next Monday morning when the students assembled, they would present to me the evidence for their thinking about spiritual rebirth and being a Christian and that they would present their arguments and then I would determine, uh, give my input as to who uh, was correct. Well, during the week, Nikolai was convinced that he had ultimate proof. He'd gone into a coffee shop and the person that waited on him was a trained cat. The cat walked on its hind legs it had a, a hat and a uniform, and it carried coffee in its front paws. So he said, I've got proof. If you can train a cat to be a waiter, then a person can be trained to be a Christian. Well, Igor heard about the cat, and he was a little discouraged at first, but he's not the type to give up easily. So when the week was up, that next Monday morning, we were assembled with the students, and Nikolai had his cat serve me coffee. Uniform, hat, walking on his hind legs, coffee in his front paws. Well, I was pretty impressed, let me tell you. So I was just about ready to agree that a man can be trained to be a Christian. And then uh, uh, Igor brought a little box with him, and he opened the box, and some mice ran out of the box. And guess what the cat did? The cat took off after the mice. You see, the cat was trained to do something, but inside it was still a cat. So obviously, 
I did not agree that you can be trained to be a Christian. You see, the cat was trained to act a certain way, but inside it was still a cat. It was changed on the outside, but it was still a cat. His true nature was revealed when the time came. It only appeared to be changed. Now think about this. You can change your clothes, your habits, your speech. You can even change your attitude. But one thing we cannot change is our inner self. Only God can change any of us internally. When you get home this afternoon, don't leave now, wait a little while, but when you get home this afternoon, I want you to examine yourself to determine if you're like that walking cat with a hat or if you have been changed internally by God. Don't look at your outer actions and your outer speech and attitudes and things that you do. How about inside? Have you been changed internally by God? Real change comes through a spiritual rebirth. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 22, it says, Put off your old self, which belonged to your former manner of life and is corrupt, and be renewed by the spirit of your minds, and put on a new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He talks about putting off an old nature and putting on a new nature, and he talks about being changed internally. Spiritual rebirth produces inner godly changes that affects external behavior and speech. Now, verse 16 in our text is referring to people within church, people who profess to be Christians, who are believers, and addressing people like you within a church. He says, he talks about the temple of God. He's saying, you are Christians, are a temple of God, and a temple of God is an internal meeting place for God and for each of us. It's an internal meeting place for companionship, for fellowship, and for worship. And let's face it, a temple must be a fit place for God to live in. God does not live or dwell in the midst of sin. Verses 18 and 19 in our text teaches us that if we're like that cat with a hat, that we're deceiving ourselves and we're polluting that temple at the same time. It says human wisdom without God is pure foolishness. The largest library in the world is in Moscow, Russia. It has about 12 million volumes in it. Now that does not make Russia a wise nation. It only means it has a lot of books in one places. Because her, but her wisdom is foolishness because it's a wisdom that ignores God. I mentioned our seminary in Ukraine. We send two men over there a month to teach for two weeks at a time, and we do that ten months a year. Now, I'm the one that schedules the men, and I assign their topics of what it is they're going to teach. Almost all of the men are pastors from either the United States or from Canada. Now, I say that because I have in-depth conversations with 20 Reformed pastors every year, and you multiply that over almost two decades, and that's a lot of conversations with a lot of pastors. 
And they often talk about their churches and they talk about problems that they have within their churches. So based on those years of conversations with all of these pastors, I want to share some conclusions that I've arrived at about the spiritual conditions of many churches in the United States and Canada. And remember, different denominations, but they're all reformed. We have many church members who say, I have received the Lord, and they really don't understand what that means. But they've been taught to say it. You get a, you get a smile of approval when you say that in church. Churches, many of them are preaching a soft salvation, a salvation with no cost attached to it. We've taught salvation without any form of self-denial. We've talked about the cross, I mean the crown, without emphasizing the cross. And we've catered to the unsaved while we're doing it. Our instant salvation messages have deluded uh, us and they have dishonored God at the same time. You see, we welcome God's blessings, but oftentimes we're weary, uh, weary of his yoke. And we've got some watered-down views of salvation, and you've heard some of these. We say, just confess Jesus as Lord. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. We often say, well, just say this prayer and you'll be saved. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 9 in verse 23, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Sometimes we say, just come down to the altar and you'll be saved. You see, we make it real easy to be saved. Jesus says in, a Luke, cha in uh, Luke chapter 13 and verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. He says, many will try and will not be able to. So what's the right approach to salvation? What man often says in church or what Jesus Christ says. Think about yourself. Do you have evidence of a new nature within yourself? And if you can think of that evidence, what is it? Think it through. You're the only one, other than God himself, you're the only one that can answer that question about what you think and feel internally. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 28, and verse 19, says, Go and make disciples of all nations. But you, know, you really have to start being a disciple at home. If you don't know how to be a disciple at home, how can you be a disciple in another culture or in, in, a, in a foreign area? To advance the kingdom of God and this church, You've really got to reach out to your neighbors and your friends and family. You've got to reach out to people that you can uh, see uh, the effect that, they will ha that your uh, evangelism will have on them. Now think about it. A lot of us here do present the gospel to other people. But sometimes we, preach it, we present it apologetically. Don't ever try to convince people they're doing Jesus a favor by receiving him into their hearts. You know, oftentimes the accept Christ uh, uh, mentality is misstated because it shows Christ 
applying to us rather than us applying to Christ. Oftentimes we picture Jesus as standing and just waiting for our verdict upon him. Every single one of us should be on our knees waiting for his verdict on us, not our opinion of him. Imagine a man proposing to a lady, and she says, yes, I love you, and I want to marry you, but do I have to give up my other boyfriends? That wouldn't go over well at all. But we want people to become a Christian and never give up their other beliefs. And you have to. Jesus is the only way. Sometimes we're afraid to tell the unsaved that they must give up their other loves. You see, we say, well, we don't want to turn them off to the church. That's a pitiful mentality. They're already turned off from the church. They're already outside of the visible church. You can't turn them off. You can only trust in Christ and say what you must say. So don't ever try to make God just in the eyes of other people. We need to be made just in the eyes of God. You see, we're the ones who sin, and Jesus is the one who died. We're the ones that are guilty before God, yet Jesus is the one that was punished for our guilt. We deserve death, but Jesus gave his life for us. You know, that message seems almost too good to be true. Years ago, there was a chaplain at Harvard University by the name of George Buttrick, and he wrote about how many students would come in, and, and they used different, uh, different phrases, but basically they would come in and announce to him as the uh, uh, chaplain that they didn't believe in God. And he kind of had a stock response for those questions. He would say, tell me about the God that you don't believe in, because I probably don't believe in him either, then, he says, I would tell him about Jesus. And it was a terrific way of opening up the minds of these people to the gospel. You see, he didn't appeal to people to try to squeeze Jesus into their life and somehow give him a chance at working with them. He was direct in his evangelism. He was honest, and God honored it. We must call the unsaved to repent and to be born again. See, evangelism only makes sense if we realize that man is hopelessly lost without the inner working of the Holy Spirit. Our natural condition without Christ isn't one that's diseased or decomposing or in the process of dying. The unsaved person is spiritually dead and training will not save anyone. You can, if you get them to act a certain way and say certain things, all you've done is trained them. And they make you happy and you smile. But God doesn't want talented cats wearing hats. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 in verse 12, he says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but it's the sick. Some people act and talk like Christians, but they're only doing what society and other people in the church expect of them, and they act a certain way. They're the sick. They're not the healthy ones. We should reach out to people who say they believe in a God, but live as if 
That belief has nothing to do with their behavior or their lifestyle. If they say, I believe in God, and their lifestyle doesn't reflect it at all, they should be presented with Jesus Christ in repentance. Zephaniah described what a lot of people in America today believe about God. In Zephaniah in chapter 1, in verse 12, he said, People say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. And they really believe it. How many people today might admit there's a God, but they really don't think he's going to do it, uh, anything uh, 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 bad or anything good? He's just out there somewhere he exists. A lot of people reflect that thinking without thinking it through. See, Jesus isn't dead. Jesus isn't useless. Jesus is not absent. He reacts to us, and we will either receive blessings or we will receive punishment. A lot of people in today's culture believe that God is just something distant and that he requires nothing from us. If you don't think God requires anything of you, then sin has no meaning, and you probably don't even realize that you're involved in sin. Oftentimes, when we do things that we know are wrong, we say that we're victims of our culture. Uh, oh, this is our genetic makeup, or it's the way we were brought up, and we live as though we do not actually sin. We say when we make mistakes or when we do bad things that they're not our fault. And this logic says it would be unfair for God to judge us if what we do isn't our fault to begin with. Besides, we say if there is a God, he's compassionate and loving and he never judges at all. So we're all safe with whatever belief system it is that we have. Here is what we should be offering to those outside of the visible church. We should offer the one who created all things. We should offer them the one who raised up prophets and psalmists. We should uh, offer the one who promised his people a Messiah. And then when the time was right, he sent his son to lead his people to heaven uh, through grace and repentance. The psalmist spoke of the reign of this son. Son in Psalm 2 in verse 6, God was speaking and he says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Isaiah described that son, that Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 2, he talked about the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep, not deep darkness, on them light has shone. One of Chuck Colson's men went to preach in a prison one time, and he was met by the prison psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist told him about his frustrations with his work with the people who were in the prison. He told uh, Chuck, uh, Chuck Colson's man, he said, I can turn a mentally ill bank robber into a mentally healthy bank robber, and I can turn an illiterate criminal into an educated criminal. He said, I can cure somebody's madness, but I can't cure their badness. He had a good handle on things. And that was an excellent opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to the prison psychiatrist, the one who really has an inroad to a lot of the men within the prison. 
See, he didn't understand being changed internally. He could change the way they acted and thought to an extent, but he couldn't change them, their uh, uh, badness. And you see, we can change a lot about ourselves. We can change homes and uh, jobs and cars. We can even change spouses. But we cannot change our inner person. A cat with a hat may look trained, but it is still a cat. And the training goes out the window when the right elements are present. So I want you to make absolutely sure that you're not acting like society or people within the church expect you to act without inner change. You can fool every one of us, but you can't fool God. Make sure that you're not acting like a trained cat with a hat. If you look and sound like a Christian, make absolutely sure that you are. Verses 22 and verse 23 in our passage says, all is ours because we are Christ and Christ is God's. Now there's two things here. First, Christ is inseparably bound to God, so whatever God owns, Christ owns. Secondly, it says believers and Christ are inseparably bound so that whatever Christ owns, believers own. Now, if you accept that as the gospel truth, what possible reason can you have for not giving yourself completely to Christ? Is there some little thing in your life that stops you from fully committing yourself to Christ? You're the only one that can identify, as I say, outside of God, but you can identify it, and you can deal with it. One last thought. Monday morning, knowing basically what I was going to be preached today, I go on the internet just to remind myself of a few things, and I looked for some books on behavior modification, and there was a lot of them there. One of them was called Self-Directed Behavior, and I was thinking, boy, a lot of us try to do that, Self-Directed Behavior. And I noticed another book there uh, that see, would appear to have been popular. It was written for children. If you try to change your behavior based on steps that you read in a book, you're just like that walking cat wearing a hat delivering coffee. If you try to change the behavior of your children based on anything other than the saving work of Christ, you're training them to walk like a trained kitten. And remember, kittens grow up to be cats. Remember, sanctification is a process. And if we ignore the process within ourselves, it's reasonable to assume that that process will come to a grinding halt. And you may wind up in trouble. Now, I want to end in praying that the Holy Spirit will not leave us to ourselves. And that not only will the Holy Spirit lead us, but that we will be more than willing to follow, that we will search for the ways in which we can follow, especially through self-examination. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you certainly are a good God, a loving God, and a merciful God. 
Father, you offer us everything, the world, everything that, that, that we can possibly have within this world or from a spiritual perspective. And we step back and we examine things and we try to think of what will be best for us. Father, let us abandon that thinking. Let us not try to act like people within the church expect us to act and to talk that way, but let it come from within us. Father, we search for inner change. Father, forgive us for our sins. Renew us through your Holy Spirit. Give us this desire and yearning to fully commit to you and to work that commitment out through uh, our church and our jobs and uh, society and, and all of these other ways. Father, fill us with your spirit and don't leave us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.